I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Yes, our bi-weekly podcast where we revisit every book in the Babysitter's Club series, book by book, episode by episode, re-examining it from our elder millennial <laughs> standpoint today. I still, I'm still digging the elder millennial. See, I, I went with the elder because uh, I, I know you feel strongly that that's better than geriatric. And I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm gonna take it every, you know, day by day, which way I describe <laughs> myself. <laughs> you know, some days feel more geriatric than others. Exactly. So, exactly. I maybe should have said geriatric point. today. I feel like <laughs> maybe I'm actually geriatric today. You can be elder though. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, I'm. I, you know, I'm gonna join you on the geriatric train. It's it's morning, and that's, yeah. that tends to be when I feel the most like exactly 85 years old. It's bright and early. We're elder millennials, and we're here to talk <laughs> about a babysitters club book. <laughs> so we are talking about Claudia and the Genius of Elm Street, and I know we were a little bit nervous in our predictions about what this one was going to be about, and I was so pleasantly surprised that it was not what we thought it was going to be. We actually got some really nice Janine moments in this, which I loved. Agreed. I was very, very pleasantly surprised by the Janine of it all. I had a little bit of struggle with this one, but only because, and I I could feel it the whole time, I was like, this would play for me so differently as a kid. Yeah. Like, I just have too much adult bullshit and knowledge and experience to not just get annoyed and frustrated at things that I know weren't yeah. fair to get annoyed and frustrated at. I had to keep reminding myself, like, as a kid, right. this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, this as isn't kid, for you as an adult. Is, exactly. Because <laughs> I keep going, oh, my God, like, what do you – like? well, and we'll get into yeah. it. But that made it a little bit harder of a read for me, which was – which honestly was frustrating for me because I really – there was so much to like in this one. There's some really great things, and I couldn't get out of my own way. And that's, like, the most annoying reading experience for me. Of, of, I would rather have a really shitty book, like one where I'm like, wait, what were they thinking yeah, here? Exactly. What were they doing? And because then at least that there's something to talk about and it's like really engaged. And this, I was just getting annoyed at myself. Yeah. I was like, come on, you know that this isn't what this is. <laughs> exactly. But why don't we, before we get too far ahead of right. ourselves, how about we start things off here? So today's book, as you mentioned, is Claudia and the Genius of Elm Street. It is number 49 of our regular series books. I can't even believe that. We're, we're coming I know. up on book 50. That 49 is wild. Already. Wild. And that doesn't even mention the super specials and mystery now that we've thrown in there. So in any case, book 49, this was released in November 1991. And we are back with our dude, Peter, Peter Laurentius. Peter Laurentius. I did do a little bit more research on him this time now that we know he's going to be apparently back a couple Mm. of times. And spoiler alert, my research said he's back for 40. So we're going to we're okay. going to see Peter well, again. I mean, that's good then because we like him. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I liked him better this time. I remember yeah. the first time I had a little – there was some weird – there was kind of a weird mean undertone to some of his like insults. Yeah, that's right. Remember? And I, I it, he just didn't quite nail the tone on the first one. This was much better. Yeah. I thought this was A little bit more... of growing pains for sure. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. If you're ghostwriting a series, you know, it takes a little time to get the – think about, like, television shows. You know, if there's a news writer's room that switches right. over and it, like, all of a sudden characters feel a little bit different for a second until people settle into a groove. So exactly. anyway, so let's see how the back of the book sets us up for this one. Little Rosie Wilder is perfect at everything. She can sing and dance, she plays several music instruments, and her IQ is so high it's off the scale. So how did Claudia see minus Kishi? Ouch. Yeah, rude. <laughs> and, like that's just such a hard swipe on the back of the book. And by the way, no one's ever called her that before, no. so rude. Okay. Maybe maybe Peter wrote the back of the book and was still working out the, that insult <laughs> like, comment thing. like, I have thing. to be mean in some yeah. way. He's like, I got to be nice in these books, so we'll get to dig in on the back when nobody checks. Exactly. Okay. Take two. Uh, so, how did Claudia, C-minus, Kishi, get stuck babysitting for Rosie the Genius? Because Rosie is so obnoxious. No one gets along with her. Not even Claudia's sister, who's a genius, too. The babysitters think that Rosie needs to be taught a good lesson, but what Rosie really needs is a good friend, like Claudia. Wow, I aggressively hate the back of the book, and I'm very glad that I did not read that first. That, and I, honestly, when I put together these like recording guides, I don't actually like read it. I just copy and paste it from the wiki for Babysitter's Club because they always have them there. And so I didn't really pay attention to that. And yikes. And yeah, it's not even really accurate. Like, no. 
Rosie is difficult, but like, it's not like people are like, oh, fuck her. I'm not babysitting for her. And like, Janine's kind of like, eh, she's not my favorite to help, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no one's like, she needs to be taught a lesson. Like, no, the taught rude. a lesson is the, the C minus and the taught a lesson, those both really sparked me. Because I read through it, I try not to like get too, um, I don't want to memorize it, right? Like, I want to know what I'm reading so that I yeah. don't stumble all over it. But I like to, so, you know, sort of discover it a little bit as we're going through as is my want with with all of this I'm just that's just my my natural bent towards right. towards everything but anyway the point is both of those I was like man I, I'm gonna have to say this I'm gonna have to call her <laughs> Claudia C minus Kishi right and I am not okay with that that is just the but the teach a lesson that just felt way out of line yeah because especially because that's really where my struggle was with how much everybody was struggling with Rosie right that's where I was really like you got like she is so clearly a little girl just begging for someone to see her right. and help her and like she is drowning even more so than some and way less bratty than some of the other kids that yes. they have very clearly identified oh this bratty behavior is about something else right. xyz much much more quickly it just and again i get that that was plot reasons i get that that right. was more importantly because as a kid that would be something that's you know how that 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 would be viewed i like well we'll we'll get into it but it just the back of the book feels more mean-spirited in in a way that the book doesn't Mm -hmm. even though because like i said the stuff with the with rosie in the book is much more just kids being kids and oblivious than oh they need to be she needs to be taught a lesson what an obnoxious little freak they're even even so they're not really obnoxious they're like she's I think they might have hated what's her face, Miss Pris more in Marianne's first book with her. Mm-hmm. God, why is right, people they actively Jenny Prezioso, they actively didn't yes. want to babysit for her. And that sort of carries forward even through the rest of the books. Like everyone has that feeling about Jenny Prezioso. When you have to babysit for Jenny, oh, I guess this is gonna be a chore. And like we didn't really get that. I mean, we have hold on. Before we dive into this, because we're starting the conversation, let's do the description and we can we can jump back into our conversation. So yes, perfect. It will be great to have the specifics of what each babysitter did to talk exactly. about why they're not as obnoxious <laughs> as the back of the book. Yes, when they're not having to teach her a lesson. Okay, so the Claudia specific plot. So there actually is an A and a B plot this book, but the B plot is still pretty Claudia specific. So we'll get to that later. The eponymous genius of Elm Street is seven-year-old Rosie Wilder, whose mother calls for a three-time-per-week babysitting job while her mother is recovering from the flu and shingles. Claudia has the most availability and gets the job. Rosie is a gifted child in basically every activity a child can do, except Art, which we'll also get to, who also has a successful career acting and modeling. Her parents are clearly pushing to do all of these things, and Claudia and the rest of the girls, including Janine of all people, has no success in getting her to come out of her shell or even engage. All Rosie does is practice for her lessons, do homework, and study up for a crossword competition. And that continues with each sitting job, including one where Stacy has to read with her for an audition, and Jesse can't find common ground despite their seemingly shared interest in ballet. It continues, that is, until Claudia discovers that Rosie is also talented at drawing, but that her parents find it frivolous and think it's a waste of time. Claudia gets them to understand that she is talented, and Rosie finally has a talk with them to hopefully let her back out of some of the activities, but to add art lessons. And the Babysitter's Club general plot, the more general plot is related to Claudia's book-long art project, where we finally get to see the junk food-based Warhol-inspired paintings that they used in the Netflix series. Claudia spends her time doing sketching and then painting her assorted work, showing things like Twinkies, spilled milk duds, Doritos, and rindings. Christy has a great idea to have a Claudia have a show in her garage, which Claudia titles Claudia Lean Kishi's Disposable Comestibles, a pop art multimedia extravaganza. And Claudia uses this as an opportunity to showcase Rosie's work too, which helps give her some credibility with Rosie's parents. The rest of the Babysitter's Club helps clean out the garage for the show and then to help host the event for the neighborhood. Claudia sells three paintings despite Alan Gray's best efforts to sabotage the show, including insulting Claudia's work, hanging his own terrible drawings of terrible subjects, and dropping chewed gum all over the floor. That's my boy. Exactly. I I mean, I know we have so much love for him because of Alan Gray from the movie, but I still have a little bit of a soft spot, but also like I'm reminded that he actually is a terrible person when we see him in the books. Like, oh no, he's not just like this lovable goofball. He's kind of a terrible person not kind of he is a terrible person like what what an one ass. million percent they won they totally rehab the character because they cast a cute boy and right. wanted to use him as a potential love interest exactly if they were gonna like you know go down that route which makes sense if you're doing the 
the movie or the TV series right. version of of this. And yeah, every time he pops back up in the book and I'm like, oh, wait, this is why I got mocked for loving Alan Gray right. because exactly. he's awful. Yeah, this he's terrible. the worst. We don't and like not him. not in a cute, like, you know, enemies to lovers kind of way. Right. Like the bubblegum thing, you know, putting up your own paintings, that could be funny in its right. own way. Like maybe if it was one, like if you just snuck like one in there. Exactly. That could be a cute little, oh, you rapscallion. Exactly. But like doing a bunch of them and then the gum on the floor, that's just no. That's no. just, it, that's killed any love for Alan Gray. For exactly. And that, that's just gross. And yeah, I don't like it. And to be totally honest, the bulk of my Alan Gray love, even for the the actor that plays it, is not from Babysitter's Club and playing Alan Gray. It's from the one with Sissy Spacek, where she plays all the different moms. They go to the mom mart and pick the the. That was, what, what, I always want to call that serial mom. That's very that different is movie. Very much not. Very yes, different. I I don't remember what that one was called. Mom? But was it Anna? Was it Anna Klumsky too? I cannot remember. I okay, can't remember. We're gonna. It's gonna come to me before the end of the episode. If we have, if I have to drop it in, I'm gonna put it in here because. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to annoy right, exactly. somebody. If, if you, were, I'm sure that there's at least one person listening who is something like me sitting in their car screaming, it is trading, mom, you exactly. fucking moron. Exactly. I can't believe um, you can't remember it, you idiots. <laughs> Don't worry. I do it all the time and I'm doing yeah. it myself too. But So we'll, we'll drop it back in. But I'm pretty sure it's trading, mom. Lauren here from the future. Yes. Aaron Michael Mechek, a.k.a. Alan Gray from the BSC movie, did star in a movie called Trading Mom with Sissy Spacek and my girl, Anna Chlumsky. It was really fun from what I remember, and it can apparently be found on Tubi or Freebie or through your library with Hoopla. So I now know what I'm going to be doing this evening. Anyway, the point is, he sucks in this one a whole, yeah. whole bunch. Real bad. He sucks as much as the back of the book. It's Alan Gray, the back yeah, of the book. Right. We know our boy Peter can write awful Alan Gray well. Because he's got yes. the the vibes, I dig that. I like that for him. Uh, we're gonna have to track that if, if if Alan shows up every time Peter is right. Yeah, he's like, I, I this is my one opportunity. I have to make sure Alan Gray's in this book. One of these days, I am totally gonna hyperfixate and and pull out my string wall and like really just deep dive into well, make my already really gross spreadsheet even grosser by like right. writing, matching up every ghostwriter next to what characters they wrote for and like which characters are right. involved in the book and- exactly. Well, I, I look forward to the day when, when that happens, because I always do benefit from your hyperfixations. i <laughs> <laughs> glad to pass it along. Somebody's got to. Exactly. Right? Anyway, you know, speaking of hyperfixations and, and this being one of them and it paying off in this book, what I found was interesting is you, you shouted out the, the Netflix uh, episodes or the Netflix series. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting how much of this plot ended up in the TV version of Jesse and the Super Brat. Mm-hmm. Because the books, so that in general, I did notice in this one, we are starting to get some recycled things. Right. Like this whole, this is very, there's a lot of similarities to the Derek Masters. Yeah. That was one thing and, I definitely wanted to talk about for sure. Right. But so that's, a, I, I don't know, I don't necessarily know that that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a fact of the matter when you're writing hundreds of of books you're gonna have some repeat right things and it all i don't mind that especially like television shows do that all the time lord knows gray's anatomy is recycled plot lines a million times it's been on 25 years 20 let's not make ourselves even more (laughs) geriatric and i thought they actually did a really nice job of coming at it in a different way Mm -hmm. focusing on different things having a slightly different perspective like whereas Jesse and the Super Brat was more focused on Jesse and her Broadway or or superstardom mm-hmm. or whatever success show business success ambitions and got to see that through the Derek lens and got to look at oh what is what is the reality for her of like oh that would be work etc right. and I remember even talking about when we watched the television show I was interesting oh that they took a different approach and maybe it's more modern like we think about I, we had a whole conversation about how social mm-hmm. media has changed the landscape of how we talk about this and right. then go figure it, it's all right here down to the as you pointed out the the art pieces however that felt a little recycled from some of the Ashley um, the Claudia and the New Girl mm-hmm. uh, book. Because wasn't she doing like Tootsie Rolls in that one? All I remember was that one is the, um, the fire hydrant. The fire hydrant. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't remember. But maybe I conflated the two. Yeah, because I remember because these photos loom so large. Because I did re- like from the TV show that rang a bell for me. Right, but I, I 
I honestly didn't remember this book at all. Nothing came back to me as no, we were going through. Same for me. And I think the thing that I really wanted to touch on, like, it wasn't even until like I finished the book that I really was like, oh, Derek Masters, this was very similar. But I really appreciated the fact that like Derek Masters and Rosie are like complete opposites from each other and their families are complete opposites. Like the fact that Derek Masters family is so dead set on like, you're going to have fun. You're going to be a kid. You know, you like to act. So we're going to make this work. You get to be on this TV show, but we're also still going to live in Stony Brook. You're still going to go to regular school when you're not filming. And Rosie, while she does still go to regular school because she's so involved in all of her lessons, she's been in commercials. She's a model locally. Like, her life is not normal. Like she doesn't, she doesn't have the ability to relate to her peers and her peers treat her really shittily because they, you know, like they're talking about Disney world and she's never gone to Disney world because she doesn't have time. And her parents think of frivolous fun things as not being, you know, good things for her to do. That's not worth spending time and money on because she could be working. She could be, you know, doing her lessons. She could be whatever. And it's just, like it it really just made me feel sad. You know, like Derek has this great support system and Rosie does not. Her parents are like the epitome of stage parents that are like, "Oh, well, you know, you could be on this show, you could be on that show and, you know, oh, we can we we can get rid of your local agent and get you an agent in New York." And you know, Rosie's like, "Oh, but I I like working with I can't remember her name, Anna or something like that. Like, I yeah. like working with her." And her parents are like, "Yeah, but, you know, this is such a, a better opportunity." And it's like let your kid live. Jesus, she's seven. And she just like has no ability to like have free time and have fun. And the worst part is she doesn't even know to miss it. Exactly. Because she has literally known nothing else. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that's exactly what I mean about like just coming at it from a different angle because they could not be more different. And I, so here's my headcanon theory. Mm -hmm. This book came out in, what would he say, June 91? November, November 91. So end of 91. The HBO series started airing in 1990. Oh. I can't help but wonder if Anne's experiences making the show and seeing child actors and working kids mm -hmm. made her perspective on what that that Derek Masters yeah. does feel like looking back, an idealized version Very of much. what you would want that to be, like what you – the picture that the, the stage parents – play on Oprah when right. we know behind the scenes they're stealing the kids' money and, you know, exactly. eating them like an elephant in a Ringling Brothers circus. You know, wow, that got – I didn't mean to get quite <laughs> so <dark>. controversial <laughs> there, but um, I don't know where that came from. But the point is that it, I couldn't – my headcanon is she saw the underbelly and mm -hmm. saw what it was really like and and this is much more, right. more realistic. Yeah, the dad straight up says contracts are made to be broken. Yes. Like, whoa, that is a – that's an intense thing to say in a babysitter's club book that just I'm, I know it went right over the kids. I, right. I'm positive that, that no kid is going, oh, I'm going to carry that. Right. Nobody comes I'm going to internalize that message. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody becomes Donald Trump because they read this babysitter's club book and went, oh, uh, Rosie Wilder's dad said contracts right. are made to be broken. So, you know what? Screw this contract. Exactly. That, and. It was really, really intense, but that was that's where I got frustrated, and that I and this is one hundred percent. Like I said, I own that this is a adult lens. Is Rosie's, and and that's why I don't know if this is really a fault of the book. I actually think it's a strength of the book that just it. Like I said, it's my, it's my fault because of how we're reading it. Right. That that Rosie's. Uh, I thought her dissatisfaction and her her lack of joy were so well portrayed that it it felt so obvious in the beginning mm -hmm. that she was not a brat that it was not like I'm trying to insult you in some way. Right. So the thing that the biggest thing that the babysitters object to in in my and and tell me if you disagree mm -hmm. but it feels to me like when they try to like tell her something or show her something or or provide information, she's not appropriately appreciative and grateful and fond. Right. It feels like anytime they're like, well, this is the answer. I'm going to help you with this. They expect some big like, thank you. And she's just like, okay, great. I know. Mm -hmm. Like, And looking back, I'm like, this is clearly a child who's been adultified, not necessarily right. parentified, but certainly way adult coded mm -hmm. that, you know, 
of course she's not excited about every little thing that they give him. She she works. She's a working person. She's right. making a living. She's treated like they don't treat kids like kids on sets. That's that's not how that works. Right. And so she's being treated like a little adult. So of course when you know kids who are four seconds older than you come in and start talking like this at you, of mm-hmm. course you're going to be like, whatever. Like right. I, I'm I'm. I have my college paid for by my job, and you're making what five dollars from from my mom right now? What is right. it? What is their fee? Like, actually, do they ever really get into that? They we don't. did at the very at beginning, the very be- and I think it was like two dollars an hour, or and something. we talked about that because yeah. it was yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just the, I, I I agree with you with that take because it really does feel like you know the first time Claudia meets her, she's like, "Hi, I'm Claudia. Are we going to have so much fun?" And she's like. Um, I'm going to go do my homework. You know, like she just, she has this regimented schedule and she has, you know, she's had it drilled into her by her parents. Like the number of things that she says in this book that are very clearly just parroting something that has been ingrained mm-hmm. in her because of her parents. And she knows this is what my schedule is. This is what I do at, you know, four o'clock. I have my voice lesson at, you know, five o'clock. I do my math homework and that's just what I do. And I'm not here, you know, it's, it's like not to use a, a reality cliche, but like, I didn't come here to make friends. You know, she's like, this is, you're just here to make sure I don't die. You know, like if, if there's an emergency, you can go call the police for me or call the the ambulance. Like I, I don't need a friend. I need you to go, you know, sort of sit in the background while I go through my after school process. Like I'd be doing the same thing, whether it's you, whether it's my mom, whether it's my dad, my grandma, some other random person. Like I, I didn't, I don't need you to be my BFF. Like I, this is what I do. And like, that's why it's nice when she realizes that Claudia is an artist and she's drawing. And we know when come to learn that Rosie is also very good at drawing. She really likes it a lot. And so, you know, we, when, when Jesse's babysitting, she's, she like tells her, I only want Claudia to babysit or she tells her mom, I only want Claudia to babysit. And Claudia's like, I didn't think she liked me that much, but okay. And she realizes it's because when Claudia is there, Claudia is working on her food drawings and she gets to sort of be around art. She gets to be art adjacent. And it's really sad, you know, like I'm, it's, I'm glad that they found a way to connect and I'm glad that Claudia finally realized it and like gave her the opportunity to like actually focus on her art and find a way to get her parents to understand. But like, how fucking sad is it that, that Claudia is like her quote unquote favorite babysitter and it's only because of something Claudia doesn't even realize is relevant. You know, like right? it's just because you happen to do something that that Rosie likes to be around. And Rosie doesn't even like tell her that. She's like I just don't, I only want Claudia to babysit me. O- okay. She has no emotional intelligence at all. She 100%. comes across super smart, super together, super with it. But what it all it is is uh, you're exactly right. It's parroting. Like the what I kept thinking about when you said that clearly parroting lines. I was like, oh my god, the scene where you mentioned Disneyland when the kids mm-hmm. are talking about it. What she says is, well, I have a career. I don't have right. time to do silly baby things like go to Disneyland. I'm like, there is no way a seven year old came up with that. That is exactly. ver- especially when we meet the parents later mm-hmm. and they're like talking about, nope, not this for fun. Blah blah blah. It, that is verbatim what came out of yeah. most likely her dad's mouth uh, based on what you know right. the, what the way we've we saw heard him talk versus the way we've heard her mom talk like exactly and i was just really struck by the fact that she viewed the babysitters as part of her team right mm-hmm. like it didn't seem like a babysitter it didn't seem like any kind of special she's used to having people who come and work for her right. who show up and do things for her that aren't but like her agent doesn't coddle her and doesn't you know talk down to her and treat right. her like the babysitters did so she's coming in looking at it as another professional relationship because that is all she has ever exactly. known like that is the really thing to em- emphasize here this isn't like derek became a child star at, at a young age but clearly old enough for him to have made that choice like right. he was the one who was like I want to do this. I'm good at this. I'm, I'm precocious. I'm I'm pursuing this. He seemed to be enjoying it. Rosie is going at it with grim determination of mm-hmm. someone who has been assigned these things because they she was put into it at birth. Right. Really, the more we talk about it, the more this one is really fucking dark about yeah. like child stardom and and what that cost is. And and I think it would be actually really interesting to go back. Now I'm actually kind of dying to go back mm-hmm. and watch the television episode again and see 
Because that was such a part of our conversation at that time, if I recall correctly, that we were like, yeah, this is like the super bad, but it's really interesting all these changes yeah. that they make where I'm seeing so much of that is coming from here down to the dad, down to the conversation that they have. So I, I really, maybe we should re-release that episode. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, I like that idea. You guys will find out if we decide to do that tomorrow <laughs> right. or next week. Well, actually, you'll know now because we'll cut this out if we decide not to do that. Very, so. Right. You'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> if you're hearing this, guess what's happening. If you hear this, guess it's going to be out in two weeks. It's a uh, re-release. <laughs> <laughs> of our super a brat episode. Yeah, no, it's just I don't know that I have anything else like different to add to this, but yeah, I just agree. Like I enjoyed li- reading it, but as we've been talking like god, it's so fucking dark. You know, like it's just grim and we end with Rosie in like a quote-unquote better place, but like she's still doing all the activities. She still has a career. She just is doing slightly fewer, but she's adding art. So it's like She's taking stuff away, but she's still adding things. And like, yes, it's something that she loves, but also like her parents were already starting to be like, oh, she she's talented. She's good at art. Like, ooh, you know, like, you know, rubbing their fingers together. Like, ooh, what can we do with this now? Like, exactly. The uh, core problem is not solved at all. It's not just that it's that she's doing too much. It's how she's doing it. Right. If she were genuinely like uh, Rosie is talented enough and and precocious enough that I think being spread that thin, doing things that she loved, she would right. have no problem with exactly. it. The, so the problem is not how much she's doing. The problem is the focus of why she's doing what she's doing. The fact that it's all work and no play. Mm-hmm. And that that to me felt a little bit lost at the end. I was like, I really wish we would have. And this I couldn't tell if that was just, you know, the adult perspective coming in. Right. Or or what? But it, it would have been nice. My one like tweak to that would have been if we would have made more of that emphasis at the mm-hmm. end, because even at the end, or acknowledged, I guess they kind of acknowledged that it was a little bit of a victory. It didn't go far enough. But I I I I, I kind of liked that it didn't neatly tie up with them solving the problem mm-hmm. because. As so many books do, as as we've as we've joked about so many times before that right. you know they come in and parent t- teach the parents how to parent and. There well, is a, a little, little bit of that, though. <laughs> there is there's an attempt of that here. What I like about it is the parents don't immediately change. You right. know what I mean? They don't go, "Oh, you're right. Here, right. let me change everything about my behavior." Thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. Right? It's like, oh, thank thank goodness you, a 13 year old, were here to make me a different person entirely, which we have seen in other books as we've talked about. Like, oh, Correct. you know, the the savior babysitter to help you know teach the the actual adults things that they never could have ever accomplished themselves. And they immediately take it to heart and are different people and better people because of our babysitters. And and very pleased to hear it from a 13-year-old. Right. Oh, like, thank you. Rosie, thank you. Rosie doesn't want to get told to do her homework by somebody like three or four years older than her. <laughs> right. But parents are like, oh, 12-year-old, thank, you, oh, for, thank, thank you for the information. What would I have done without you? <laughs> right. So anyway, I really did appreciate the fact that they attempted that conversation, but the dad was kind of like, yeah, yeah. Or got like what he wanted out of it. Yeah. In the way that adults very much do with kids. Like, oh, let me take what you have to say, but like how, how I want to hear it or like right. cherry pick the pieces. Exactly. And I wish the babysitters would have a little bit acknowledged the hollowness of the victory. Because to your point, yeah, they're letting her do art and they're letting her do less. But the way that they got there was basically telling them that she could be more successful at the other things that she does if she ha- is, you know, less uh, right. wide focus and is more narrowly focused on those things. So it's not like, oh, make it easier on her. Like, I don't think her life is going to get any less hectic, no. any less business. It's just going to be, instead of doing 10 different things, you're going to have uh, still 10 different lessons, but they're all going to be on two things rather than right. four things. Right. Her schedule is going to be just as full. And it, most of it is going to be like a, an obligation as opposed to, uh, I really want to be doing this. And right. And she's. it's not like her parents are like, Oh yes, now you're not going to be a model anymore. You're not going to have to act in TV shows like any of that because they are very clearly invested in her working. And yeah. And it, at least it was nice that they they seem to not be stealing her money behind the scenes. Like she does have money for a for her college already, you know, like things like that. Or they so say it, that. I guess that's true. Yeah, I'm, we don't know. I'm choosing to be optimistic about that piece. They are terrible in every other way. So for the sake of a fictional seven-year-old, I'm going to believe that the money is actually there. I co-sign. Well, <laughs> it, we, we'll say this is dark, but we're not going to go like fucking Dickens dark. Exactly. It's not that dark. So 
I wanted to also talk a little bit, I know we sort of mentioned Janine, but I just wanted to talk maybe about Janine's a little bit like as a particular part of this, but just sort of like the overall like gifted genius piece of this, because it feels to me like this is two stories put together mm-hmm. in a certain way, like because we've got the stage mom stuff, the the over over participation in activities. But then on top of that, we also have that Rosie's a genius, basically the, on the same level as like Janine when it comes to intelligence and IQ, which obviously we know IQ is not necessarily the thing that we have all made it out to be and that it has been made out to us, you know, as child or as children. But it's just interesting to me that that we put together these two pieces because in some ways, I guess it sort of makes sense because we know that she can succeed in school without having to necessarily like be in school. So it's okay that she's working. So maybe that was why it was put in, but it just feels really strange to me that there's both of these parts of this story because it it feels like you didn't necessarily need both to tell the story that they wanted to tell. Because the, the intelligence factor is sort of like a side piece of it. And it's just, I, I don't know if, I, and I'm not really sure what my like thoughts are. It's just mm-hmm. something that as I was reading, I was like, why does she have to be a genius? Like, who cares? <laughs> and I think that that's interesting because that did not like pop, like bump mm-hmm. for me at all. It it tracked that she was just good at, at everything. Yeah. Like I thought that that was kind of the point. And I don't even know if I like I, I, like saying that I'm like, oh, it was just, you know, sort of hyperbolic that, of course, she's good at everything and that was right. just easier for a kid. But I was like, I don't even know if I really read it that way. I don't know. And maybe not – probably not even maybe. Almost definitely. This is so not fair. But like I think about like a Jodie Foster who mm-hmm. went to Yale or Harvard? Harvard or Yale? I think One she was two. Yale. She was – because um, Natalie Portman was Harvard. Yes. For some reason, I get those two mixed up. Mm-hmm. But like they're by no means the – not – the only actors and or actresses who have gone to like Ivy League schools as right. part of their and I think that there is especially if you start and and I'm particularly choosing child act- actors right. you know people who started very young in the industry because I think that there is a level of intelligence that's necessary above and beyond talent mm-hmm. in order to be a child a successful child performer because there's you know there's has to be the ability to read to memorize lines to take direction to to act on that direction to synthesize things to follow social cues you know right. there's a lot that that uh, IQ is required in order to be successful on that because you can have all the talent in the world but mm-hmm. if you're you know you can have the best voice but if you're running around like a chicken with its head cut off and knocking things over on set and not taking direction and, and right. not learning and memorizing your songs you're not going to get cast in anything because nobody wants to work with that. Well, and that goes back to what you were saying earlier in our conversation, like the way that Rosie acts is because she has learned this is what you do on a set. This is how you interact with adults. Adults will treat you like an adult or treat you, you know, with, without, you know, talking down to you or babying you. And so, yeah, I, I think that goes hand in hand with what you were saying earlier. And it could be some of it natural intelligence and some of it like things like the crossword puzzle. That's not necessarily intelligence. That's also just what you're exposed to. Mm-hmm. And if you're around adults and around, especially in, in the industry, of course, you're going to be good at things like crossword puzzles because those are that's about vocabulary. That's about knowledge. That's about, you know, things that are happening in the world right. as much as it is. It, to Janine, speaking to the Janine of it all, knowing the the AI, the Scrabble word right. that it shows up in crossword puzzles. People who do crossword puzzles know all of those. Yes. There's a whole bunch of those little two-letter words and, and three letters right. that are that are used in every crossword puzzle. So that's like a skill that can be developed. Right. I, I genuinely I didn't see anything in here that displayed. I, I saw her as very precocious, but I actually one of the things that was kind of bumping for me from that adult perspective, like I said, was that they kept talking about how genius she was. When I didn't see her as I didn't read her as genius like the way Janine is, mm-hmm. or even really that intelligent. I read her as determined, as grim, as like very serious, which is annoying and obnoxious in its own sense. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't get the sense that she was some like really genius and like know-it-all. And it, it was just, she was interacting with them the way that she gets interact with, interact right. with. Is I literally wrote in my notes somewhere, she's correcting things because she's never had an interaction where it wasn't a correction or right. a edit or an adjustment. Like even if you think in theater, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, but right. we get notes about every single thing that you do. Oh, move a little bit to the left. You know, sometimes there's a little bit of, of praise in there, but for the most part, th- 
nobody's got time for that. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so wonderful. It's just good. Move a little bit to the left. And that's that to me read how she responds to them. Not right. like, oh, you're so dumb. So that's where I was getting frustrated. I was like, you guys keep talking about her like she's some genius, but I really I saw the contrast with Janine. Like even Janine was like, I I'm not really like vibing with this kid in in a way because Janine, while she's very like plugged into her schoolwork, it's because she loves it. Like mm-hmm. it's coming from a place of genuine interest. And of course, I was like, yeah, I love that they brought her in and showed the difference that she didn't connect with Rosie. I wanted to say Jenny now, but <laughs> but she didn't connect with Rosie because Janine was coming to it from a place of intellectual curiosity and how cool is this? And I want to know how things work and like the way her mind does, where Rosie was coming at it as a, this has to be done. Mm-hmm. I'm expected to accomplish things. I'm expected to achieve results. I'm expected to happen at a high level. And so I'm going to do that. And, and that it's just how it is. There was no like joy of learning. There was no pursuit of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And Generally, for me, when I think about in intelligence, and, and maybe rightly or wrongly, uh, when I think about somebody intelligent, I think about somebody who is constantly wanting to learn something new, constantly seeking out knowledge, you know, reading more about it, looking at it at a higher level. That that curiosity piece mm-hmm. uh, is to me the real like hallmark of uh, of that type of intelligence. Yeah. So I really saw it as more of a good at everything in a um, in a not. What's the right word here? There are some of those people who are just so good at everything that you, it stops being impressive yeah. because it's just – that's just who they are. You know, that right. it, is, it just sort of is what it is. And it, it Janine feels impressive because it's so singular and it's so focused right. for her. Yeah, Whereas she's not Rosie's good at everything. So, she's good exactly. at her one, you know, computers in school. It's like her and, – and she loves it so much that so she focuses on it. Yeah, I don't know. I just and the more as as you were talking, I was also thinking about the fact that like when they're at the school for the the crossword competition and the kids are like making fun of her, like asshole kids do. Like mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily making fun of her for being like a know it all or smart. It was just like, you know, it was more about like the acting stuff and like the fact that she's just different. You know, it's not like oh, there's that know it all Rosie Wilder. It was like we don't know you because you're a weirdo because you're off working and you know, you're in all your activities. So you don't play with us after school and you've never been to Disney world. So you can't even connect with us on that level. Like it was more just like mean kids stuff as opposed to like anything referencing her smartness. And to go back to the, the crossword puzzle part, like crossword puzzles. Yes. You do have to like know a lot, but they're, it's more like a science, like, because you have to be able to like understand what the question or, you know, what the prompt is asking. Cause like Mm -hmm. there's a whole language to what those prompts are or those questions. Mm -hmm. And you have to know how to interpret them to be able to know what the answer is. And so, and honestly, like what third grader cares about crossword puzzles, you know, like what, I mean, I guess, why is that even a thing that the school is doing? But like, of course she won, you know, like no one else is, is spending hours after school working on crossword puzzles. As an exactly. eight-year-old or a seven-year-old. One hundred percent. I actually – the kid stuff with Rosie, this is where especially I knew that it was a lot of my baggage mm-hmm. coming in, like very specifically because nowhere anywhere close to the same degree as yeah. Rosie by, by no stretch. And I did start doing theater at 10. And so I spent the bulk of my time around adults as a, as a smaller child. Right. And – like it or not, again, for better or worse, I'm, you can debate. I'm sure we could have a debate until the cows come <laughs> home, whether that was net positive or net net uh, negative on a, sociolog- on a psychological standpoint. And my point is, it did affect how I interacted with my peers, even right. on that like non-extreme level, because I – especially in theater, there is that level of expectation. You don't get coddled. You don't get, I mean, just to, to some degree, it was community theater. It wasn't like, right. you know, I'm I'm not being, you know, Rosie, again, I'm not being Rosie Wilder, but I was hanging out with adults who mm-hmm. talked like adults and referenced right. adult things. And, and were they talking- expected you to be able to participate. Like if this yes. is a show that all of us are acting in or, you know, doing whatever behind the scenes in, like we're all expected to meet a certain threshold of professionalism, even as a child. Like, you don't get to come in and be a baby. Like, if you want to do theater, you have to 
act like an actress or an actor. Exactly. There's a level of professionalism that is required. Like I said, you have to follow instructions. You have to be there or you don't get cast. You don't get to show up. You, You don't get to be involved. And so whether you like it or not, that does have an impact on how you interact with people your mm-hmm. own age. Like I remember coming back to school and being like, like these are immature kids. Right. Because exactly. I'm used to, at, at this point, by the time I was like 11, my best friend was 16. Yeah. Like that was just, and to be very clear to and, and fair, she was a great influence. This was not like a 16 yeah. year old who was like dragging 11 year old me around and like drinking whatever. Like she showed me Rocky Horror. That was the, right. my, and, and dirty dancing. But like that's that was my that corruption. Was, but that was who you were spending time with. And so, of exactly. course, that's who you're going to connect with. And you, as an 11 year old who has this experience of like having to act, you know, professional and mature in these situations, like you're, you have a different sort of like emotional capacity, obviously in a different way than Rosie does in the book, but like right. you are able to interact with people and like a 16 year old interacting with you as an 11 year old is very different than that same 16 year old acting, interacting with an 11 year old who, you know, a- has never had to interact with adults other than their parents and teachers, you know, like it's, exactly. it's a very different situation. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I really came into this, like really liking this book. And the more we talk about it, I'm like, I don't know. I feel kind of bad. Just like, like, I just, I don't like it. (laughs) See, I really liked it because it did have all that, that in there. And, and it was, like I said, uh, this is all my, my baggage and my adult, like, Mm frustration with, to be clear, not the story at all. I thought the yeah. story was really well done. Right. My frustration was with Claudia because she was our our narrator, not picking up on some more of these obvious cues right. sooner. The way that she talked to them, the the grim determination. They, they comment on the fact that she doesn't seem to enjoy anything, but they don't take it a step further to to why could that be? What are the things? Oh, maybe she doesn't love being scheduled within in her life. Oh, mm-hmm. she doesn't like Stacy makes uh, when she's practicing for audition. Stacy talks about her big fake smile and how she's she like recognizes right. that fake smile. And that is again, we've watched these girls make really sophisticated connections. We have to our point earlier in this very conversation, they are like telling adults, hey, right. what's what? Here's here's what's what about the world. And they sat through that crossword puzzle interaction. They watched those kids be awful and they noted them being awful, but then stopped it as, well, we, Rosie is obnoxious. I can see why those right. other kids hate her too. And not at, at at the very obvious, like, because, and this is where, this is the one time where I went, mm, this feels very similar. Like some of the kids stuff felt very similar to the Derek Masters of it. That was the one place that it mm-hmm. really did kind of overlap. Yeah, that's very true. And I was like, Jesse recognized this Almost instantaneously right. in the first go-round. They were jealous. She didn't know how to interact with them. They, they were just different. And and like I said, for me, that resulted – on my very superficial level, that resulted in me being a social outcast and having lunch with the teachers and having – you know, having a really shitty junior high experience. Yeah. And that was just for doing some community theater. Like, <laughs> right. Can you imagine if you had actual commercials and like the number of child stars who tried to go to regular school and talk about how awful the other kids were to them? In fact, my very first note, and this is what my big, my, I just keep coming back to it as my biggest complaint about it because I overall really, really liked it is mm-hmm. that. Claudia's reaction to Rosie, her frustration with her, her annoyance, et cetera, feels more appropriate if they were peers. Yes. It does not feel appropriate for Claudia to be in the position of the babysitter that we see them in with other with all the other kids. Every other kid, they come at them from a place of authority, from a place of maturity, from a place of, you know, learning and growth. And this just felt like Claudia was on the same level and like yeah. annoyed that this kid was better than her at something. And that I can there's some a germ of something interesting in there, but it just didn't quite. I, I and I don't know exactly what. Again, I'm I'm not sure how that would even play out in a kid's context. Like that's, right. I think that might be one of those more subtle like adult themes that that come through. I I, I truly I think this would work really well for a kid. I mm-hmm. think that they're going to miss a lot of the 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 darker right. Aspects they're not going to think about that at all. I think they're going to be thinking like Claudia and the Babysitters Club. And to our point, many many times, the whole point is to put you know, kids in, in this perspective and show them that this and and model those things and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's good. I think it's it's hard with a book like this where there is so much that we bring to it as adults that, mm-hmm. there, that there is such a clear adult perspective that the kids are missing. I think that's the biggest thing because they don't, 
again, for better or worse, I've said that a lot this episode, but there are a lot of, there, it, it feels like there's a lot of that in this book, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. For better or for worse, they usually are giving the best version of it. Mm-hmm. So it felt strange to to see them get it wrong in yeah. a way. And I couldn't, I think where I struggled with the book itself is that I couldn't decide if that was intentional or if that was just the plot not, not quite getting across what it wanted to. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if the point were, oh, Claudia learns the lesson that she shouldn't be jealous of this seven-year-old because, mm-hmm. you know, we're in, in different levels and blah, 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 or, or something uh, that had been a part of it, then great. But I didn't really get that from the book. And I so I, I don't know what a kid's gonna right this would be one in particular i would love to get a, a 12 year old yeah yeah I, I honestly don't know what a child would take away from this book because it does take them so long to sort of get to figuring out what what rosie's actual problem is and even once they figure it out they don't really have a clean solution to it and honestly part of that is because there's not something you can easily wrap up in a 150 page book and have it all be you know hearts and flowers at the end but like it just felt like it I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly don't understand Claudia's reaction to Rosie throughout the book. I I, this I is, mean yes. it really and I, I guess I don't know that I picked up so much as it like she maybe she's jealous of her. Like it just felt as I was reading it, it felt to me like she was annoyed that Rosie wasn't more like effusive about her being her babysitter. And that that maybe truly yes. was it, but like and that feels like out of character for Claudia, you know, like it feels for pretty. any of our, for, right, exactly. For any of our girls, like they're not like th- they interact with so many kids. And I guess most of the kids we do see are very effusive. Like they love the babysitters, but there are some that are less excited about the girls and, and they've always been fine with those kids and they find a way to connect with them. And I think that, I think that's what it is. It's that Claudia doesn't try to find a way to work with Rosie, try and find a way to connect with her at all. She's just sort of like, Okay, I'm gonna go draw over there. Bye. You know, like I, I think that is even more what's frustrating is like, it's yes. not that she reacts poorly; it's that she doesn't find a way to like try to resolve it in um any even not even meaningful way, even like mm-hmm. any way at all. Like I think that's what's frustrating about it is because all of their girls, if they had a situation where they're like, I'm just not connecting with this kid, I'm gonna try something else. And to Jesse's point, she at least tries. You know, she's like, we do have this common ground in bad- ballet. Obviously, we know that Rosie doesn't actually like ballet. She's just very good right. at it. And so she doesn't connect with her on that point. But but at least Jesse's like, I'm going to bring my, my my toe shoes and maybe maybe that'll be a way in. But even then, she doesn't really try that hard either. You know, it's just sort of like, eh, Rosie wasn't interested in ballet. So I guess that's it. Like, there's nothing else for us to talk about. You just articulated my my biggest problem uh, that I, I couldn't put my finger on that I was talking mm-hmm. around is there is they're so dismissive of her. Yeah, there's they seem to write her off instantaneously. Right, exactly, and and so there is no effort to look deeper into why what is happening is happening. Every other kid gets a benefit of the doubt. Every other kid gets a to your point, a, a, a proactive solution. And mm-hmm. I, I guess I hadn't really realized just how passive the solution is to this because you're right. Claudia doesn't attempt to connect. Claudia goes, fuck this. I'm just going to go do my drawing exactly. and do whatever the hell you want and happens to notice that Rosie is, is drawn to the art. And I think that that is, and I definitely know that this is something that affected my, my overall enjoyment of the book. And it is absolutely something that is adult and not kids would, mm. would know where get that. But the the darkest thing about all of this is the fact that they got her parents on board with the art. I wanted them to protect that. Do not show that to the parents. Exactly. Because she is so good at all of these other things. I guarantee you at some point, if she had just been allowed to explore them and play with them on her own, she would love them almost all of them. Maybe yeah. they wouldn't all be her favorite. Maybe she wouldn't pursue ballet the way that Jesse is, but she wouldn't dread dance and come into it with this. They, they always talk about how grim or the set of yeah. her face is and how determined and blah, blah, blah. And a kid who is doing something because they enjoy it is not doing that. And like, again, this might be some projection on my part, but I thankfully was, I, I don't get much right in my life. I Insight wise, I, I make more, more <laughs> bad calls than good calls. And the one... One of the places where I am most um, happy with my foresight and and self-knowledge from an early place is that I realized that the reason I never wanted to – one of the reasons that I never wanted to pursue as much as I loved theater and and singing and and I never wanted a career any 
pathway along mm-hmm. that is because then I knew it would become a job. It didn't want right. it to become a job. It still wanted to become fun. I exactly. want it to be, you know, something that, that brings joy to my life. And if it was something that every audition was make or break, is this going to pay my bills or right. not? And it, it becomes this, it, we see what it turns into. It's rosy. Again, that's such an adult, an adult's going to catch that. Right. And that's why it feels a little bit like the the Derek Masters version of this was the kids version of this plot. And this feels more like an adult plot uh, tried to take down a little too young and it, it just misses a little bit of something mm-hmm. reading it from that older level. Again, I really think that it, as for a kid, this works fine. Yeah. It works really well. I think the plot works. I think it's a, it's a good message it, overall. Um, I actually kind of, like I said, I like that it doesn't resolve all neat and tidy, mm-hmm. but in the same way, I, as I'm saying that, that feels more grown up than, right. than exactly. the kid's book it, version well, of that's, it. I mean, so. that's what we've come to to expect from Babysitter's Club is like, you know, you get the problem early, the babysitters have a few fits and starts, and then by the end, they've resolved it, whether it's, you know, having a conversation with the parent or having a conversation with the kid or having a conversation, you know, I mean, ultimately a lot of what our babysitters resolutions are is like having a conversation, which honestly is like the best thing to teach kids. It's like, yes, sometimes you just have to talk about it. It might be awkward. It might be uncomfortable, but like it's better, better out than in, you know, like, and I, I feel like we sort of get that here, but like, but like you just said, you know, Rosie talks about, I want to do art. But her parents are like, oh, but you're good at art, so we're gonna we're gonna get you in all the right classes, this. exactly. And like, I I mean, I I do wish that there had been a way for Rosie to be like, I want to take lessons, but I get to pick what they are. I get to choose what projects I do while I'm in those classes. If I want to stop, I get to stop at any time. And honestly, I wish that she got to say that about all of her activities. I mean, we're sort of getting that way because she does sort of say at the end of Claudia, like, we're gonna scale back and I get to add some art classes, and so maybe we're moving in closer to the right direction, but like we don't get the 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 sweet resolution that we normally get, which is like my parents let me just like get rid of everything and I only get to I only have to do the things I want to do and I get to pick and choose and blah 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 and I only have to act if I want to act. And like obviously that's not what we get here. And that would have been way too pat an ending if it actually happened. But it's also like, but we don't really get a happy resolution. I mean, from a kid's perspective, 100%, I agree with you. But like, from our perspective, reading it as adults, like, yeesh, this poor kid, like, because now she's going to be forced to do art. And I mean, like, I'm glad she now gets to do art because she was sort of like hiding it and had to like, do it in secret. And obviously, that's a terrible thing that a kid should have be forced to do. And like, when when she's drawing with Claudia and her parents come home, and she's like, here, take this, take this, like, hide this. I was like, Oh, my God, like, that you're doodling and not doing right drugs. exactly like it it's fine you're just drawing on a piece of paper but it's like i i have to always be doing something of value and uh, you know and now her parents see the art as value as being of value and so it's just like it, it's gonna it's gonna ruin it like you said like it if it becomes this like you have to do this and you have to do it well it's not going to be fun anymore and it's just I, it, as an adult reading it, it at the end of the book, it's like leaves me with like this melancholy feeling of like this poor kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yes. I'm wondering if this is another one of those one-off families. Are we ever going to see Rosie again? Wondering the same thing. I would really love to because I know. yeah, I, I, this is not ending in a good place. Like it is ending with her still, it you know, roughly the same place that she was before right. with like, I don't, I don't buy that her parents, what they got out of this conversation was, Oh, we need to let her be a kid. What I got out of it is, Oh, she's going to be more successful at the things she's good at. If she's able to focus more solely on those instead of right. just the other ones, like similar, it, it felt like the same conversation that they had after the uncle dandy thing where they were like, Oh, we won't, we do all of those. We're going to focus on these because those are the ones that you're best at. Like it just, you made a comment about how she uh, something about accomplishments and that was what was valued and mm-hmm. she really did uh, that's what made me so sad for her I, my, all my notes are just this poor girl this yeah. poor girl this poor girl because she has been taught her entire self-worth is around accomplishment and yes. what she is achieving she has zero i don't think anyone has ever told this kid i love you for who you are i love you for being you everything is about what she is achieving, yeah. what she is doing. All of her self-worth comes from from that place. And that it oh boy. Yeah. As 
again, as a fraction of what this looks like. I, I can tell you the massive psychological defect that that, that creates <laughs> for the rest of your life. Like, yeah. I can't even imagine what this is going to be like for her. Actually, I can't. I've watched those documentaries. Right. I've seen this the child start. And, and that's what I'm – that's kind of the other thing. We've been talking a lot about the, the adult perspective. And what we haven't discussed at all is the 2023 of it all. And you know what? That probably plays a piece of this because at mm-hmm. this point in 91, we didn't really know all as right. much about the dark side of child stardom. That was still very, uh, I mean, to some degree, sure, but not not the way that we do now. Yeah. Not, not, not the way that we have Corey Feldman, you know, coming out and being like, look, this is how it was. Not Jodie Foster being like, these were my experiences. Right. Brooke Shields just had her, a documentary that, yeah. you know, we learned more about what was really going on behind the scenes and how that was exactly. really handled. Now we know all about the Culkins and what a mess that was. It was happening at this time. Exactly. So like a reader at this time wouldn't necessarily bring all of that what we're bringing to right. knowing That's just how point. dark this gets to it. I mean, I'm sure to some degree, but but the the Hollywood of it all, I uh, I have a feeling that this fe- read a lot milder in 1991 sure. than it than it does now. But what switching gears just just a little bit, going circling back to what you were talking about, like being loved for accomplishments or everything being about what she achieved. Mm-hmm. That to me is why she did not ever read as braggy or like talking down the way that some of the girls described it as because she's not bragging about anything. She is listing her accomplishments as fact without any kind of pride or without any kind of like good for me. Mm -hmm. Like they're taking it that way. They're bringing their own color to it. Right. But she's not like, oh, I'm better than you because I can do this. In in fact, that's what she explicitly says about the kids at school. She's like, they hate me. I don't talk to them. I don't do anything to them. I just, I do what I'm supposed to do and get good grades and win at at competitions and answer the questions and they hate me for it. I'm just doing, I'm just being me basically. And they're, and, and they don't like that. And that's why they hate me. Not even just being – the thing is, I, I, she's not just being her. She's been doing what she's been taught is right. what is necessary to, to live in her home. Like what she gets rewarded for at home are the same things that that, that make the kids hate her. Right. At, at seven, at five, however old she is, seven, ten, seven. I don't remember. Seven. seven. Yeah, we've said that repeatedly. She's seven. At seven years old, you're not understanding that nuance. You're not understanding that what your parents expect for you and what what works for you on that. Or, because especially it's going to work for the teachers too. Right. So – for the kids, she's going. This is this works. This works. This works. This works in a business context. This works right. with my parents. This works with my teachers. With my tutors. With everything. And then there's one group I'm acting in this exact same way, and they hate me for it. What do I? Of course, she doesn't understand. Right? Why? Why would she? Right? Because it's been so ingrained in her. Like, this is what you do. This is who you are. This is how you be successful at life, basically. And yeah, the it, the same things that work for all the adults in her life don't work for the kids because. The kids expect her to be a kid and she has been doing this for so long and it's be made her into a different person. You know, like if she had never been in, you know, put in all these classes, had never been, you know, modeling and acting and all those, like she would be a totally different person. And maybe she would react differently because she is so smart. You know, we're we're told she's this genius. And like, you know, she would have activities I'm sure that she likes to do, but like if she's doing things that she likes to do and isn't forced to do and isn't ha- doesn't have to interact with adults on a professional level, like she'd be a totally different kid. And mm-hmm. like these kids would probably react to her in a different way. Like maybe it would be still be like she's a nerd, but you know, it wouldn't be like she thinks she's better than us because of XYZ. So they would react well, you know, like she'd probably have some friends, you know? Maybe every yeah. kid wouldn't like her. I mean, no, no kid has every kid like them. But like, I don't know. I just I feel so badly for this fictional seven-year-old. I know. <laughs> that, I mean, that's really where it shakes out. I, I think I'm coming back around. I did enjoy it. I, I went through that phase in the middle of our discussion yeah. where I felt bad. And I think it was because I felt bad for Rosie, not because I felt bad about the story. And that's where I keep coming back to. Like, it, 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 It's always a weird distinction mm-hmm. where I'm like, there are things about this that, that just didn't work for me. But that doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy the book. I don't think it. I think it's a good one for kids. Like I, we we keep saying repeatedly, I, I think that kids would really get something out of it. I think it it hits them in the right level. I would love to see a slightly updated 2023 version that talks a right. little bit more of that. You know, price of. I feel like the babysitters now 
it, and we saw that, and as we're going to hopefully revisit here, um, <laughs> right. that, that, you know, that they are a little bit more aware about that. They talk a little bit about social media, if I am remembering correctly, um, and, and the impact of that. I definitely know they talk about him just letting him be a kid. Right. That, that doesn't really happen in this one that I think is a much more modern sensibility. Mm-hmm. But overall, I, I think it was really, it was really good. I... I'm the reason I didn't enjoy this. Yeah. This one as much. Uh, enjoy the experience of reading it, not enjoy the book, if that makes sense. That makes sense. And yeah. it was completely about me and not about the book itself. I thought the book itself was really a really solid entry. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. Okay, so let's do fashion real quick. For a Claudia book, it was surprisingly light, basically only a few, and, and most of them are the typical, like, Christy always wears blah, blah, blah. Claudia did have a good description of her own outfit, though. So I'll, I'll read everyone that one. That afternoon, for instance, I was wearing a men's paisley vest I'd found at a yard sale over a striped button-down shirt with tuxedo-striped black spandex stirrup pants held up with pink-flecked black suspenders. My hair was pulled straight back with with a paisley comb, and I was wearing electric pink ankle boots. The boots really set off the formality of the rest of the outfit, sort of like the punchline of a joke. I think you can tell a lot from people about the way they dress. If you saw me, you might think artistic, fun-loving, good sense of humor. At least I hope you'd think that. Love it. Love ten out of ten. Can't no notes. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> tens across the board. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm on board. I fully support it. I love it as an outfit. I love it as a description. I love it as a quintessential Claudia look about how she describes it. Like exactly. just, just worked really well. That's one of the things that I think overall Peter did really well with this one is the openings and like mm-hmm. getting through the perfunctory yeah introductions. We we've talked about that a lot, and and when that's done well, we appreciate it. I thought this one was. Not as well integrated as it sometimes is. The, those are my favorites, but very well quickly dispensed with. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we were done with it by chapter three. You know, sometimes we're dragging into chapter five. Right. And they're like, oh, by the way. And I'm like, oh, my God. It, it kills the momentum. Exactly. This just exactly. flowed through. So I did mention before before we move on completely, because I don't really have too many random thoughts with this no, one. No, I, I only have one. It kind of all like was part of it. So why don't you do yours? Because my random thought is really just I wanted to share a little bit more about Peter since this is our second go around with him. Okay. So my only one is I said in my prediction for last week, I would come up with a, an acronym for my benevolent AI that that uh, yes. Janine and, and Claudia put together. Um, so... Genius stands for groundbreaking, ethical, natural, and intelligent unified solutions. And I have Ooh. to, I have to admit, I did use some AI of my own to come up with that. I was like, ChatGPT, give me some <laughs> options for acronyms that spell out genius for a benevolent AI system. That was my favorite. So I can't take credit. I love that, but I can take credit for using AI to my advantage. <laughs> I feel like that that's even more uh, credit worthy. Like it feels like you understood the assignment <laughs> exactly. in a very important way. No, I love that. That's amazing. Uh, everything about it. That That's perfect. All right. So just a couple of, of quick Peter facts because I, I thought that was interesting. So I just went, like I said, I, after I saw that we saw him again, we'd speculated he was a one-time thing. I don't know why. Yeah. But you know what? I do know why. It was sexist of us. Like, oh, it's a dude. He must right. be brought in as a, like a one-time – I think we even joked, like, they didn't have anybody else, so they brought this dude in. Clearly, he's around for a lot. He does about 40 of them. He actually was a ghostwriter also for Hardy Boys and the Sweet Valley Twins series. Oh. So it sounds like that's where he really got his start. Um, He also wrote movie novelizations in the 90s, uh, Sixth Sense, Sleepy Hollow, Beauty and the Beast. Like, that was a real thing back in the 90s and 2000s. And, And so he did a lot of those novelizations. He went on to write his own series called The 39 Clues, came out in the early 2000s, so well past when we would have been paying attention to kids mm-hmm. series. And I didn't yet have any kids in my life right. in that range that I would have been aware of, but I'd never heard of it. Had you? 39 no, Clues? No, I've never Is heard that- of it. Okay. So I don't know if it if that's just his like publicity on the hype meter on, on Google, but this thought it was interesting that he did go on to to do his own series. But he wrote about 40 of these books and is a pretty prominent author, it looks like. The, the thing that stood out to me is in 2003... He went with Laura Bush and R.L. Stein to the first like Russian book conference. He was like oh. a guest of the state. So I, I thought for for an author that I'd never heard of before, I thought that was an interesting, an interesting little little tidbit. So Peter, welcome, welcome to the Babysitters yes. Club. Now that you're a reoccurring member, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how often he shows back up. Right. Oh, 
I lied. I did have one more little random um, observation mm-hmm. that it was annoying because it was a con- it was a very simple continuity thing in the book that just really pissed me off. At the end of the um, when when they actually do the art show, Claudia mentions that they serve junk food. That was my idea. It literally wasn't. Earlier in the book, mm-hmm. when they're talking about it, Christy says, "Oh yeah, and we can serve junk food." <laughs> I'm like. I I I literally I went back to check. Yeah, I was like that feels like a so that just was a was a silly, uh, simple mistake. But it really that bugged me. I was like, don't don't take credit for Christie's ideas. Oh, <laughs> or just give it to Claudia in the, earlier in the book. Right. Like it just felt anyway. It, have some internal consistency. Yeah. So our next book is our second mystery book. It's Beware Dawn. So I now looking back after we read The Ghost at Dawn's House and my prediction was completely incorrect, it's because it was this one. There is a like best babysitter competition. One of the kids gets scolded by Dawn and he gets in trouble at home. And so he starts sneaking into the secret passage, making scary noises, leaving secret clues and freaks all the girls out. And then they figure it out and they have a, a touching moment where Dawn like helps this kid become a better person. So that, okay. that that's what actually happens. That's not a prediction. I I remember this one very well because I thought it was one we already read, but it wasn't. So I know it's this one. So my nice. my my overall prediction is, you know, there's an actual ghost, and Don needs to be a, beware of the ghost. So yeah, it's old Hickory. <laughs> yeah, old Hickory's ghost. So I did not remember this one specifically, but that makes sense that you said it. And go figure. My realistic prediction was basically that, except I had it was Alan Gray and mm. not a kid. And it, Alan Gray had a crush on Dawn. And again, is that even canon in the books or is that just from the I movie? I think it's just from the movie. I think it's just the movie too. In any case, my my realistic was that that movie Alan Gray had a crush on Dawn mm. and in his misguided Alan Gray way knows that she loves ghosts, knows that she has this passage <laughs> and is, is intrigued by it and, and, and genuinely thinks he's right. flirting and is like shocked by her like... Like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, he he just seems like one of those guys who sure. do something really stupid and then be like, what? Yeah. But not from a malicious right. place. You're right, from right. a genuine no, I love that. bonehead. Exactly. So that's that was my realistic. Uh, unfortunately, my my um, outlandish was right on, on the same lines as yours, <laughs> that it was actually um, the ghosts of runaway slaves mm. who come and teach class economics, socioeconomics, right. racial politic awareness, feminism, just basically bring the girls up to the 20s. They're, they're like time-traveling ghosts. <laughs> we've been around. We've seen the future. <laughs> we can teach you all you need to know. Ooh. We've been in the past. We're coming forward. <laughs> yeah, so. Okay. Well, I guess we'll we'll find out if I'm accurate in my very detailed remembrance. I don't know. I'm still rooting for a Civil War ghost. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Any other final club business before we wrap this one up? Let's just remind everybody that you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Generation BSC, or you can email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.